0: Hello and welcome to another instalment of History Hack. We've got Owen back today, Owen Griffiths, because everybody loves him and he wowed you all with his Welsh folklore last time. So we've invited him back to tell you another story, basically. Hi, Owen. Hi, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, not bad. I'm quite excited today because this, the story that you're going to tell us kind of sprung from the dissolution of the monasteries, didn't it?
1: It did, yeah. It's... um. It's kind of strange, really. I mean, um, when you look at British history and the way it's affected people uh, all over the country. And um, this story uh, in particular comes from North Wales. And um, there are many different versions of it. But one that keeps recurring sort of goes back to the dissolution of the monasteries. And when the, uh, the monks were like thrown out of, of North Wales by Cromwell and his men, really. So uh, I first heard about this one many years ago. And I've actually been to the place where where it uh, took place. And um, a lot of people still talk about that time, you know, the time of unrest and uh, when the the whole religious sort of, uh, sort of background changed. and It led up in in Wales in particular in the 17th and 18th century, then further on, um, sort of, Great religious upheaval which carried on for hundreds of years and that's where a lot of the Welsh folklore comes from really a lot of stories that um, are to do with that and this is one of the earlier ones and one that I, I particularly like and um, it's one I'll share with you later um, tonight anyway
0: yeah I think it's a it's a great point in history for stuff like this to spring up I think and essentially the fabric of national life was being ripped up wasn't it and everything people knew and held dear was in flux so I don't think we should be that surprised that you have some mad folklore coming out of it.
1: Yeah, and that's right. I mean, when you think of how life revolved around those monasteries, especially in in rural parts of the country, and to have those sort of torn down and and the buildings that were, you know, these massive sort of abbeys um, that were um, real centrepieces for members of the public to actually go there and then then to be taken away, and um, the whole sort of religious foundations of that and um, the springing up of the Church of England then and how people were trying to latch on to this new form of, of Christianity and um, in Wales in particular, I mean, later on, uh, when you go back to the 18th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, and you've got the other sort of chapel culture that come around, we always had a basis for um, religion uh, in these religious houses. And I think it must have been a massive upheaval and time of change when this happened in Wales, you know, back, back all those years ago. And when you look at many stories that happen, um, they have a little basis in this. And uh, this one is, is a particular, is, is a booty, actually. I really like it.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. I've got a gin. I've got uh, a little 90-calorie sad bit of cake as well. I'm going to put my feet up. So whenever you're ready.
1: A 90-calories bit of cake? That's not a bit of cake. That's a crumb. Oh,
0: pathetic. It's like one of those fibre go-go things. But I'm going to pretend it's a massive fat slice of cake with icing while you tell me. A yeah,
1: you, you do that. But when I come on next, get a Welsh cake. That'll be good.
0: Okay, we'll do that in solidarity.
1: Yeah, you do that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll go with it then, Alex. And, uh, I just want to say thanks as well to everybody for having me back and um, some of the nice comments that came out from um, from last time as well. And I'm so glad that everyone has got this interest in uh, in Welsh folklore and hopefully we can continue with something a little bit different uh, to what you normally have, which is uh, this storytelling. So, OK, sit back, everyone, and uh, and relax. And I'll go back to uh, how I introduced stories and how we've done that before. And that is that stories were always told at the time between times which is the time when it was neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey. And people would gather at the time between times and they would sit and listen to stories. And these were times when we had no distractions or phone screens or things or music in the background or our speakers or games. This was the time when we had to totally and utterly give ourselves over to the story. And many of these stories come from this time where people would gather. And they say at the time between times, that people would see ghosts, people would see lights in the sky, and people would see fairies. And here in the wilds of Wales, fairy stories are abundant, stories of ghosts, whisky, the Gracha Ribbon, all these things which are prophecies of death, uh, etc., which would go on. And this story goes back to this time. It's not the most pleasant of stories, and it can be somewhat unnerving, but please sit back and enjoy the tragic tale of Rhys and Mynir. Now, not far from here, but it could be very far through the hills and mountains of Wales. There was a small village called Nant Gurthain. Roughly translated, it's Vortigan's Stream, and it goes back all the way to when Vortigan was king of these lands. Not far from there there is Dinas Emrys, where the story of the dragons of Dinas Emrys occurred, where the flag of Wales comes from. But Nantgulfine lies on the coast, where the wind and the waves smash upon the rocks. And there, many years ago, something happened which still resonates to this day. The great King Henry, far away in London, decided that the monastery should be no more. And Thomas Cromwell, the architect of this great unravelling, went on and took all his men all over the country in order to gather all the belongings of the monasteries, kick out the monks who'd lived many years there cooking and feeding and offering solace to the people who lived nearby. And near Nantgurthain there was a monastery. And near Nantgurthain the men came from London, carrying their halberds and their armour, and they marched into the monastery and pulled out the monks. But before they went there, they stayed in Nantgorthain, and the people offered them hospitality. They told them what their job was, what they were doing, what they were going to do. And because they carried the coin of the king, the people let them do it. They stayed in Nantgorthain, and the night before the monastery was pulled down, they there they drank and made merry. And all the people of the town took their coin, smiled, and gave them everything they wanted. The next day, Cromwell's men marched along the winding path to the nearest abbey, smashed down the door, pulled out the monks and marched them through Nantgurthain. There they pleaded to the people they'd looked after for many years to help them in their hour of need. There they begged the people who they had offered uh, service to many times to help them. Now, for they had no homes, they had no money, they had nowhere to go. But the people of Nankurthain laughed as the monks were led away. They laughed as the monks were cast aside, as some of them were even put in a boat and sent out to sea. The people laughed and joined in with Cromwell's men. As the last monk was leaving the abbey, he turned to the people of Nankurthaein, "Look to the heavens and utter a curse. People here, this will be the last generation." No children will ever be born in this town. No, this town will never hear the cry of the infant. This town will never see the laughter of a child as it walks down this street. I curse you, Nankulthine. We have given everything for you, and now in our hour of need, you give us nothing. There was a chill amongst the town people. They looked around as the monk was led away, and although they laughed quietly, Each one of them knew in their heart that they had done wrong. However, these things happened and time passed and the words of the monk were slowly forgotten although no children were born in the village. Many years passed and the last generation of young people were starting to grow up to that age where they should be married. Now Nantgurthain is a strange place. They say the sun only shines there for an hour a day and there it is cast among the rocks of North Wales and upon a rocky cliff overlooking the village there was a great oak tree that stretched the sky people say it had stood there since before the Normans had arrived many years ago some people said it was even there when the Romans marched through Wales but now it stood hollow and old casting its shadow like a claw around the town but on this day, and in that place, a young couple were very much in love. Their names were Rhys and Miner, two of the fairest folk that Nankurthyn had ever seen. Rhys was a local farmer, strong of arm and kind of heart, and Miner was the fairest maid anyone had seen, her long blonde hair reaching down to her waist, flowers garlanded in it. And they would meet at the old oak which overlooked the tree. And it was there that on Midsummer's Eve, Rhys proposed to Mynir, and her heart was full of gladness as she accepted his marriage proposal. It was agreed that they would be married at Sawin at Kalangayev, that October. Halloween, as it's now known. Just before the nights became too dark for celebrations. Just before the days became too cold for people to gather in the streets. And there they went. And on the night before Kalangayev, The 30th of October, Rhys waited for his bride to be at the old oak with a surprise for her. All day he had sat at the oak and carved upon its trunk a great heart. And in it was written, Rhys loves Mynir. My Rhys and Carrie Mynir. He waited for his bride and he looked down towards the village and could see her winding her way up the long path up towards the tree. And he covered the heart with his back. And as she rushed forward to embrace him, he moved aside and showed her what he'd written upon the tree. Her reaction was not what he expected. He saw her face fall. He saw her skin turn white with fear. And she looked at him and said, why have you done that? Why have you done that? You know this town is cursed. And now the day before we are married, you place this on the tree for everyone to see. That is the unluckiest thing for you to do. Rhys was taken aback, but grabbed hold of his bride and looked into her eyes and said, Don't worry. Everything will be fine. Tomorrow we'll be wed, and everyone will know that we have beaten the curse. We will have children and this mark will remain on the tree so everyone can see. The following day was the fairest day for many a month, and all the people of Nankilthain gathered around the old church in the centre of town, and the bells rung as this was to be a happy marriage. It was tradition at those times in Wales that, on a wedding, a bride would run away and hide somewhere nearby, in one of the old houses she'd live in as a child, in a farm out outside or down by the beach she would hide and the groom and his groomsmen would seek her out bring her back to the church and then they would have the wedding and this was a great tradition that was everyone was happy to do and it would be no different for Reese and Mayne. They gathered at the church and Mayne looked resplendent in her white wedding dress, flowers in her hair and in her hand and her heart glowed with happiness for today she would marry a lover. Reese was so happy when he saw her coming to the church and then she blew him a kiss and ran off through the streets of the small town. He waited with his groomsmen. They counted and gave her 30 minutes, each of them drinking their beer before they began their pursuance of her through the village. Off they went calling her name, "Mynheer, Mynheer, Mynheer." They looked for her near the church, they could not find her. They looked for her near the schoolhouse, they could not find her. They looked for her near the houses, down by the farms, at the beach. She could not be found. And everyone started to worry, for Mynir could not be found. Rhys felt that she may have left him. There was talk of her having a lover many years in the village nearby, and he started to think that maybe she had cold feet and decided not to join him at the altar. But still they looked, until the time between times came. And then darkness. And through torchlight they searched for her. They could not find her. The town did not know what to think. So Reese carried on looking as well as his friends. The next day. And the next day. And the next day. But still they could not be found. Days turned to weeks. Weeks turned to months. The months turned to years. And though the groomsmen had all walked away. Rhys continued to look for Mynir, his heart utterly broken. He walked around stooped, his clothes now bent to rags, and still he looked for her, and people in the village would point at him and say, there is the lost love, Maurice, a victim of the great curse. Five years after the event, Rhys still wandered the lonely paths overlooking the sea for Maynard, and on this night, this dark night, where the thunder rumbled in the sky and felt like the gods were throwing boulders in the night. Rhys went up to the old oak and ran his fingers over the carved heart where it said Rhys loved Mine. He sat with his back to the hollow tree and wept and wept and wept for what could have been. He cursed himself for daring to defy the curse of the monks. He cursed the dissolution of the monasteries. He cursed tradition and playing a silly game. And most of all, he cursed himself for placing that mark upon the tree. Suddenly at midnight, directly when the church bells rung twelve, a bolt of lightning shot from the sky and hit the old oak tree with a crash. It dived away as the boughs and the, and the, and the tree caught alight. The branches lit and fire gloomed through the night, illuminating the tree. He turned around and looked up towards it and saw something that broke him utterly. The tree had split asunder And there in the middle of it, in her wedding gown, the flowers dead in her hair, was the skeleton of Mynir. That day many years ago, she must have ran to hide in the tree, knowing it is somewhere where they could have gathered. She must have clambered up the branches and crept down inside and suddenly become stuck. She must have called and called and called, yet nobody came. Until that night, after years of her where she had slowly died, Re sat and now looked at her skeletal remains. He got up and ran to the cliff face and plunged himself into the sea, his heart broken into a million pieces. And it was only the next day. When the folk of the village looked up to the tree, that they too saw the skeleton of Mynir, stuck within the oak. Even now, five hundred years later, that mains of that tree still stand above the village. Even now, all that time and all the changes that have taken place, people still go to Namcolfine and look at the wrecked old oak. And hear the tale of Rhys and Meinir. It is said now that on the time between times, towards the autumns, the year grows old. People still look upon the cliffs, and there, wandering the winding paths, they see Rhys, the ghost of Rhys, still looking for his bride who never was. Rhys and Meinir, the last victims. Of the curse of nant Gorothain. Hundreds of years passed and the village grew old for no children were born. And then it became a ruin, just shells of houses by the sea with the cliffs overlooking them. And the tree grew older and fell to ruin, but still people would gather and put flowers next to the old oak. These days it is now a centre for the learning of the Welsh language and people from all over Britain go there. But now, no one leaves without it being affected by the story of Rhys and Mynir. And that, my friends, is the end of tonight's tale. Diolch Thank you very much.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant again. So have you, is the tree actually real?
1: The tree is, um, the remains of the tree is still there. If anyone sort of looks at it, there's a plaque and a, um, the story is actually placed next to the tree. And it's famous all over Wales, many different versions of the tale, but there are the sort of remains of the tree are still there if anyone visited it. And it's such a haunting place. It's an amazing place to go. And it's somewhere that anyone can visit should they want to go to North Wales. Brilliant, brilliant place. I mean, that area in Anglesey is so full of folklore. As I said, the dragons of Dinas Emrys, a really famous tale is nearby there. There's lots of other stories. So if anyone wants to explore sort of uh, Welsh folklore, a good place to start is in North Wales and all the sort of things that go on there. Brilliant, brilliant history, brilliant stories. And um, the sort of ones that are a little bit different and send a sort of chill down your spine, if you like.
0: Dude, have you been holding out on me? There's
1: a dragon. Oh, there's many dragons. Oh, you need to tell us a dragon one. Well, you get me back and I'll tell you a dragon one. And as it happens, um, that's a nice little uh, segue. I've been putting a lot of my stories onto YouTube. Mm -hmm. Anyone Google uh, Owen Staten, uh, S-T-A-T-O-N on YouTube. um, And Time Between Times. um, It's got me telling a lot of these stories on different videos there. And the one that I uploaded today was the dragons of Dinas Embris. So, yeah, they can look at it there but I'd be happy to come back and tell you that one because that's one of the most famous stories in all of Wales. And I think you'd enjoy that.
0: You're you're on. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so.